This is Financially Fit with Coach Hill, the podcast where you learn to train your money like a pro athlete trains for success. I'm Coach Hill, personal finance expert and money coach to the NFL. I took everything I learned from coaching pro athletes over the last 10 years and founded Financial Footwork to help you become more financially fit, find your success with money, and live the lifestyle you want with the money that you've got. From the military to the NFL, and now the ultimate community builder. Today, I'm talking with Ben Garland, who recently retired from the San Francisco 49ers after 11 seasons. Yes, you heard that right. Ben has a really awesome past. He graduated from the United States Air Force Academy, and we all know I love the military, so I've got football and military all in one, before he started his NFL career, and he's currently serving as a major for the Air National Guard. While playing in the NFL, he also did something unexpected. He launched a company around community development, improvement, and partnerships, all with the goal of giving back in as many ways as possible. Ben, I'm so excited to have you here. And what have you been up to since you retired? Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, I've had a a fun career so far, and it's been really cool to, after football, still find that team. And that was the biggest part of why I loved football and why I love the military. It's those unique environments where you can be a part of the best people in the world with a purpose greater than yourselves. And it's so hard to find in other places. And that's what I want to develop after football is find this elite team of like-minded individuals who truly want to make an impact, make a difference and make a living for them and their family to live off for a long period of time. And that's why I love finding people like you who are genuinely giving back to this world and are the best of the best of what they do. Oh, thank you. Look at that. I got an intro too. Um, I love it. Well, your, your journey to the NFL was unique. And when we met in 2019 in San Francisco, I immediately was like, oh, this is one of my people because you had told me I actually started out in the military and I was, I was shocked because a lot of guys never take that path. So what was your path going to college? Why did you choose the air force Academy? And then what was the transition to the NFL? What did that look like? Yeah, I had a few scholarships and different opportunities to a few Division I colleges, but uh, the Air Force Academy to me was that one place that could truly drive me to be the best person I could be in more ways than just one. Education, the people you surround yourself with, and I'm a firm believer of, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I saw the the best of the best and they were going to drive me. I mean, it, it, it was tough some days at the academy when you're up at 4 a.m. trying to get your room and your uniform ready for an inspection where your other friends are off playing college football and just sleeping in, enjoying their days. But I, I knew doing that and choosing the harder path, which is something I firmly believe in, would set up my life in a lot of ways and really build me into the man that I wanted to be someday. So how'd you land in the NFL from the Air Force Academy? Like that's a really rare thing. Yeah. So, I mean, going into college, I mean, my dream was just to become an Air Force pilot and pursue that path. And I was like, but my senior year, I was getting a lot of looks from some NFL scouts. And, you know, you always had that dream as a kid of going and playing in the NFL. And but kind of also being a realist at some point, knowing the odds to make it are just so minute. But I had that opportunity and at the simultaneously, I also got my pilot slot, which is what I always dreamed about. So now I had the real crux of do you pursue an NFL dream or do you pursue that pilot training slot that you work so hard over the four years of the academy to earn? And it, it was tough because obviously with me playing offensive line and defensive line, I need to be, you know, 300 pounds or more. And as a pilot, 
that is not allowed. You so, know, I was like, you gotta, you gotta lose the weight. Yes. And so I, I had to make that decision of, do I lose weight and maintain this Air Force career as a pilot, or do I pursue this NFL dream? And even in that position, it was tough because even if you get this offer or uh, a team, you may not make the team. I mean, yeah. you got to look at training camp. It's it's 90 guys going in and there's only 53 slots for game day for everyone and a total even practice squad 63. So, I mean, about half that make it and get that contract will never see the field. Nope. And, and we see it every year like clockwork. September is the worst month in the NFL. It's my least favorite. End of August, first week of September, I'm, I just, I turn off social media. I can't look at anything because I know that half my guys are going to get cut. It, right it's, there. It's brutal. I mean, it's, you know, the NFL offers a lot of things and that is one of the worst parts about it. That that cut day and you're talking, it's, it's everyone's dreams being ripped away from them in one day. Yeah. And, it is, it is a rough time frame, And so which one do you do? Do you pursue? I mean, not necessarily pilot training isn't guaranteed, but for the most part, if you go into pilot training, you're probably going to make it if you've already made it to that point. Um, but the NFL on the other hand was, Oh, it's tough. But no guarantees I, in the NFL, none. And I, and I knew I'd always regret it if I didn't go that route. And so I figured I'm going to give it a shot. I don't want to be that guy, you know, 20 years down the line. It was like, oh, yeah, I could have played in the NFL and I would pursue this path. So I went for it and I knew that I could simultaneously serve as an Air Force officer while playing in the NFL, just not in the career that I wanted. That's fair. So you did both. I did both. And being able to do both was it was a really cool opportunity. I mean, I got the chance to really see both sides of that life. And there's aspects that I loved about both. And you get that team environment and you get that brotherhood, which you can't find in most corporate spaces. And so, you know, you play all season with these boys in the NFL. And then in the off seasons, I got to be a part of this other elite group. And I think learning some of the aspects and the leadership from one really helps my NFL career in another aspect. And then a lot of things I learned because, I mean, talking about the NFL, this is some of the best leaders in the world and they're the best yeah. sport taking some of those aspects and bringing it back to my military career and able to use that to really help lead these troops in a positive manner. Amazing. And you know, it's funny when we started talking and I, I didn't really know the dynamic of the locker room when I first started doing this many years ago, I didn't realize how much the locker room is like a military unit. They're so similar. You've got a community of of men and women in the military, obviously men and women in the military, men in the locker room in the NFL, always striving for a common goal. And there's a lot of brotherhood that comes with that, that you really don't find anywhere else. And that I, I started pairing those things together and went, oh my gosh, athletes and military members have so much in common. They're the best at what they do. They're always in a team dynamic, which isn't easy to work in. Let's face it. You're always kind of your spot's always up for grabs, no matter your military or your NFL, your spot is up for grabs. Cause if there's someone who can do your job better, they're going to get it. Right. So there's a competitive nature. And so when you started telling me this, I was like, wow, there's so many similarities. There's so much that's in common between these two groups. And then that movie, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but MVP is coming out and it's, you know what I'm talking about? And I was like, Oh, wow. Finally, someone's talking about this, that there's some camaraderie when you transition out um, 
from both military and the league. And people don't talk about that or even really think about the life struggle. You've done something all your life. You've worked up to this point all your life. And at 30, you're retired. Yeah, I, I, the military and the NFL or just, you know, pro sports teams in general. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the, especially football, it is the way the world should be. It is a perfect microcosm of you bring in people from all walks of life. I mean, you got your fat boys on the O-line and you got your skinny, pretty boys out there. You get a little bit of everything and you need to take everyone's strengths and optimize that for an ultimate team unit. I mean, if we did that with all of society, what a perfect world we live in. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're from the country, the ghetto, the suburbs, like we're going to take that aspects that make you different and use it as our strength. And you see, you know, people truly coming together within hardship. It doesn't matter your color, your race, your height, your weight. We are going to use your strengths to best be a part of this greater team. And then that transition aspect, I mean, it is tough. I think whether you're in uniform, whether that has the NFL logo on it, or it has, you know, U.S. Air Force or something powerful like that, when you're in that uniform, it's kind of like being Superman. People look at you different. You feel different. There's that strength and that power that comes behind that shield or that military aspect. There's and identity. There's an identity that comes with that. Identity, and you you feel like Superman. You people look at you like you're Superman, and then you go home and you're Clark Kent, and then you get put back on that <laughs> uniform and you're Superman again. But then one day you take off that uniform and you are stuck as Clark Kent. Yeah. And so many guys who struggle with that of never being able to put on that uniform again, whether it is that military or whether it is within the NFL or different sports. And a lot of times it's ripped away from you, yeah. especially in sport. Whereas in the military, a lot of times you get to kind of decide your retirement, hopefully as long as you don't do something really bad. Or you get injured and you can't anymore. You get injured. And that injury a lot of times rips away from people as well. And that's where the majority of the NFL guys get taken away if they're not cut and removed earlier. But having that dream forced from you, it's so tough because you lose that identity that is so near and dear to your heart. And at the same time, you lose that community. And it's that that's a huge piece of it. It's huge. And it's hard to find. And especially I think you go through something difficult with somebody, whether it is training camp, it's a game, it's practice, it's basic training, it's military. That bond is something you can't fake or create outside of that. It, mm -hmm. So you build this community of tight-knit people that if you haven't been in it, it's hard to explain. But if you've had that taste of it, it's you just crave having that locker room, that community. You talk to retired guys and it's, that's what they miss. That's they miss the community. It was, um, I saw it the first time I saw, I really saw it. Cause I, I work with a few teams. We know that. And the first time I saw a super special locker room was 2019 with the Niners. You guys had, I don't know what it was about that year. It's one of the few locker rooms that really stuck out to me as a super special group of guys. Um, I bonded with all of you guys a lot more so than my other teams that year, not only because you guys were killing it, you were winning, but I would come into player engagement and I would sit down and there would be 20 guys in the room and there's not enough room in player engagement for 20 guys to be in the room, but you guys were all there and you would come in and say hi and talk to each other. And there was almost this familiar bond. Like it was all family and you'd see, you know, Nick come in and sit on the Nick Bosa would come in and sit on the beanbag chair and then Debo would 
film him while he fell asleep and make fun of him. And like, you just see the fun stuff. Right. And I think Richard Sherman might've been there at that point. There were a bunch of different Ronnie Blair, love him. Awesome human being, right? All of these guys were there and, and Emmanuel Mosley, if I don't say him, he's going to get mad at me, but it felt like a very special place. And I hadn't really seen that kind of community bond and the other teams I was working with at that time, that was the first time I saw it. And then it continued to grow. And then COVID hit and it was like, I'm not in the facility anyway, so I can't see it. But um, I didn't realize until I was in those moments and living it and watching you guys go through it, really how much it exists. Because a lot of people are like, oh yeah, it's community or, oh yeah, they're a team. It's so much deeper than that. And it's incredibly hard to put into words. So I agree with you for military members as well, because they feel the same way. They don't have their unit. They don't have the person that has their back every step of the way. They've gone through all these hardships and grinds. And then they're left to their own volition and they're solo and they go, well, now I don't know what to do. I really think that that's a big piece of what makes the NFL and the military great. And when you remove it, we lose some of that greatness. And the NFL is such an interesting aspect within that too. I mean, there's so much turnover now with the current CBA and the rules and the free agency. And it's such an interesting juxtaposition of there's that training camp mindset where I mean, half a year probably gonna be gone. Mm-hmm. Second, that team is formed. You have a brand new team that will never exist again. Whether yep. it's your last year, you're never gonna have that same group of guys. And it's how fast can that group of guys build that bond, build that team, build that camaraderie over this next season, right? To become a true championship team because it won't ever exist again. You were just battling out for spots. You're still battling out for who's going to start playtime, all that other stuff that will affect your career in the long term. But now, how do you truly bond? And And you've got this much time to do it. This much time, yeah. You have three weeks of training camp, and then cuts hit end of August, early September, and now you have 18 weeks to go get a championship. And in that 18 weeks, you really only have four or five times you can truly lose a game or mess up. Otherwise, you're not in playoff contention. And so that bonding period is minute and trust takes time. And so it's an interesting dynamic in the NFL to watch. Just if you're looking at the psychology of the sport and how the team is built and how the community is built in the locker room. And I think a lot of it has to do with the veterans. I will give you guys all the props in the world. You have to usher in 16 to 20 new rookies every single year and teach them the culture of the team you're playing for. And you might not have even been in that locker room the pri- the previous year, the prior year. So now you're trying to teach all these young up and coming guys, you know, how to be a man, how to show up the right way, when, when to be on time, and then how to play with an elite group of individuals who've been doing this for a while. It is in and of itself, a psychological journey. And people don't realize that they don't, they don't see like what you guys have to go through. And as I've been lucky enough to watch it and witness it. It's one of the most incredible things to see because you're talking about most men under 30 training other younger men, how to be elite in everything. And it's not just on the field. It's also off the field. And I think you, and this kind of transitions us to how the military shape your money views and how the NFL has, because you came in knowing who you were as a person. You came in with discipline. You came out of the Air Force Academy. You had other life things that could have happened to you. Other guys don't. And you took that into the locker room and ran with it from a leadership perspective. 
Because of that, how did the military shape how you viewed money and how you coached? I mean, I watched you coach these youngins coming in on how to really play the game of money. Absolutely. The military helped a lot, especially going to the Air Force Academy. They have an incredible program that I wish more schools would pick up on and just more people would teach, especially with financial literacy. It's so vital for all of us and just our headspace. But your junior year at the academy, you're given a loan at almost a 0% interest. Oh, you're given around, I'm not sure it's at probably 35,000 now. I think it was like 30, 32,000 when I was there. But you're giving $32,000 as a junior in college with almost 0% interest for you to invest. Mm. And it really starts you in like looking back now, at the things I did then I was like, oh, what was I doing? But at the same time, like what a cool opportunity to get in a relatively low risk and really understand a lot of aspects that are so vitally important. I mean, I grew up with no money. We, we didn't have a lot of money. So like getting a college scholarship was vital for us to me to actually go to college, but just having that opportunity to start learning about how to invest at relatively low risk and learning about aspects of debt. I mean, I was terrified of debt growing up because I mean, that's that ultimate no-no, but at the same time, now you realize with an opportunity like that, Debt can be used as an accelerator for your wealth. Yep. And it's going to accelerate you either way. It can accelerate you down quickly or up mm-hmm. quickly, depending on what the investment is. But that really set a precedent for me. And I was lucky enough where, you know, in 2009, when I got the money, the market was in a true downturn. It was. So anything you invested in there, you look like a genius. <laughs> you know, 10 years. And we're, we're entering a similar time. And I think right now the markets are really down and there's a lot of stuff at a true value right now. And it may continue to decline for a while, but or it may go up relatively soon. But I think these times in the down markets is when everyone's scared and running, when that you should be really looking at where to put your money because a lot of wealth is going to be changed hands over these next year or so. I completely agree. And it's either going to be, people are going to lose a lot of money and people are going to make a lot of money if they're smart with it. And we have a lot of young people coming into money right now uh, because we have boomers that are getting into their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And that was a massive population growth for us between the 40s, 50s, and 60s. We saw all of these young, you know, all these families have kids right after the war. And those boomers are now aging to the point where I have seen several of my clients, parents have passed and they've inherited millions. So we're seeing not only a generational shift in how wealth is being transferred from parent to child, but we're also seeing those children being able to invest and learn how the markets work and build their own wealth from what their parents left them behind. So, or or left behind to them, I should say. So I agree with you. I think right now, if you haven't looked at the markets or you don't know what's going on, it's time to read. Because it's very, very crucial, um, whether you're starting a business, whether you want to invest $100, or if you're just simply trying to pay down debt with interest rates continuing to rise, now's a great time to do that. So it's understanding how the markets play because money makes the world go around. Whether we agree on that or not, everybody knows that that's the case. Uh, And so if you're not understanding how money is working and you're not seeing the value add, like you said, debt, it can take you down really fast or it can elevate you and be used as a tool for leverage, which a lot of people don't know. So it's all about the education, which brings me to when we first met, you had just gotten to San Francisco, I believe. 
Because you would come from Atlanta? Yep. Yeah, so you were Denver with Julius, and he's been on here. Got to love some Julius Thomas shout out. One of my best friends. He's amazing. Um, You were in Denver with Julius, and then you went to Atlanta. And then I met you as you were transitioning to San Fran. And you had come to my net worth wealth building session we were doing with vets, but it ended up just turning into a really killer conversation with the nine guys that were there. It was awesome. Everyone kind of opened up and there was some really good team building that occurred, but you came as a season, season, season vet who didn't have to be there to learn. And I think that that is speaks to who you are as a person, but what are the things that you do daily or monthly to keep improving your money game? Cause I know you started young and you've done a lot to improve it, but what are some of your financial best practices? I think you nailed it. Education. Education is my financial best practice. Constantly learn. There are so many vehicles out there to help you with your money. I mean, from everything from your basic budgeting to reducing expenses, but keep learning and and growing because that's one of the things where the more I learn, I I think knowledge is power. That's one of the, it's stamped on one of the statutes of the academy. And I think that's absolutely true. So the more you can learn about different aspects of the finance, the more you can be said. And I think finance is so crucial. I mean, you look at the divorce rate in this country and the amount of divorces that occur because of finance issues. Yep. Humans and people don't even understand their own money personalities, let alone their spouse's money personality. Oh, yeah. Relationship of just understanding like, am I a spender or a saver? Do I, am I a bit of a risk taker? And how that affects that decision. I mean, you may be a spender and just get true joy out of buying that next new thing. Whereas your spouse is a saver and gets like a whole heart attack every time you spend something. And resources build- versus giving things away. If you have someone who needs to cling to those resources because they have that mentality of fear and you have someone who just does not care, fastest way to get a divorce is to not be able to communicate about money because at some point it's going to come to a head. And if you can't understand those money personalities, which all of us have a different level with that, it's not just I'm a spender or I'm a saver. How much of a spender are you? How much of a saver are you? How much risk do you take? What do you, this is my favorite. What do you qualify as a big purchase? Because I could ask a client, what's a big purchase to you? And they could say something that's a thousand dollars. I could ask another person, what is a big purchase to you? And they would say a new car. And so even big purchases can be different for every individual person. And so like you were saying, money personality, what is the divorce rate right now in the United States? Like 60 something percent after COVID? It's really, really high. Uh, Way too high. And the only thing that matters. Right? Like where's the communication? But if you can't agree, the solution is to part ways. And that's a hard thing. So when people are entering into relationships now, and even... I mean, I've gone through it. I'm going through it with my person. It's like, you have to talk about it. Even if it's uncomfortable, I need to know where he stands on things because if I don't know where he stands and then I go do something and he says, I'm not okay with it. Now we have a problem. And so it's all about that communication. Again, take it all the way back to community building in the locker room. Like it can all stem from what you build and who you have around you. You said it best, show me your friends and I'll show you how successful you're going to be. And, and and that also, I think, is vital for a lot of guys to understand early within your friends and your ego and your money. 
Cause that's the one that I see gets most young guys or young athletes or entrepreneurs, business guys, check your ego. And that's one of the most difficult aspects of some of these money conversations is you're embarrassed about how much you're making or you're embarrassed by your current net worth, or you're trying to keep up with someone else. And I think that really kills a lot of young guys who come into money, but the money levels at the NFL are so vast. I mean, you got those guys on their second or third contract that truly have quite a bit of wealth. And then you have those guys that are on a rookie minimum contract where they're in the NFL. And with that shield and that roster spot, you have so many people looking at you with so many expectations of, oh man, you're, you're, you're set. You're good. Like spend more, go to the club, spend the money on the bottles, buy the new car, buy your parents a house, all these aspects of expectations of you're set, you're good to go trying to keep up with what the other guys are doing who are in a completely different financial situation than you. I mean, I can Google anyone on the team at any time and right. see what they make, what they make, but here's where it gets catchy. You see the contract value. You don't see the game check by game check. And a lot of people don't realize NFL players do not get paid if they do not play. So if you miss five of the 18 games or five of the 17 games by week, whatever, you don't get paid for those five games, which means you might be out $240,000 on the season. And it's only an 18-week season. And a rookie minimum this year is $750,000. $750,000. If you play every game, don't get injured, and keep your 53-man roster spot. That is not enough money to buy a new car, buy a house, go to the clubs, rent a yacht, do all of these things, and still expect to be able to live on it for 60-plus years. There's no retirement there. You might see half. And the world looks at you guys as multimillionaires, when in reality, maybe 20 or 30% of the locker room are true cash in hand millionaires, true cash in hand millionaires. And that's where the NFL has a stigma around it and the expectations and the ego get in the way. Um, but I'm going to transition because I'm, I'm excited about this because it's about you and what you're doing. And this is really cool. We're talking about coaching these players what they make, how they make it. You are a leader in the locker room. You're helping guys in the military and the NFL currently kind of hone in on their money situation, their community involvement, all sorts of different aspects. So what is the project that you are working on that you started so people can actually know what you're up to? Yeah, we've got a few projects in hand. One of the ones I'm most excited about is some of these events we're putting on. And the entire concept is show me your friends and I'll show you your wealth. It's we're going to build up networks and we're bringing in guys. We just had our first one in Dallas where we brought in guys from all walks of life. I mean, we had about 30 influencers, athletes. We had former players, former Hall of Fame players, NBA, NFL. We had musicians, artists, athletes, a lot of people who come into that aspect of you came into a lot of money early in life, not because you're necessarily good with finances. <laughs> but you still have that money. And like, so they're at a real disadvantage. And we, what we did was we brought in some high net wealth individuals who became high net wealth because of their money skills. Ah. Incredible networking event, where it's almost one-to-one -one of a very well-established business person and an athlete or an artist. And we built out the entire event with the concept of network, build your wealth by building your friends 
showcase those people around you who can truly help me and watching those interactions and those bonds, those people like, cause there's so many aspects of whether you got to the top of what you did in business, there's such a correlation of getting to the top of what you did in the NFL or in the NBA or in sport, a little bit different concepts, but the same mindset and what you got there and the drive and the becoming the best, what you do. And so we're really enjoying starting to do these bespoke engagements of these events that we're doing yeah we really want to find ways to build find investments for these guys that make sense i mean you get pitched so many investment ideas as an athlete of you know this is going to be you know thousand x or this is going to do whatever it's going to do and there's so many hidden fees and <laughs> risks and stuff the guys don't realize. And so along with those, we want to find and build funds for these guys that are truly going to be low fee, low risk, and a good return on their money. Well, at the same time, we're helping to find ones that are also give you tax advantages. And that's what I think the true wealthy do that a lot of people don't understand is building out a portfolio that is balanced in a sense where one investment gives you a tax advantage that offsets some income from another area, yeah. allowing you to really accelerate your wealth. Strategy. It's all about playing the strategy of wealth building versus taxes. Because you can make all the money in the world, but if you're being taxed the full percentage on it, you're never keeping it. Right. And, and I think a lot of people worry about, they're like, oh, you're not an American for, you know, you're trying to avoid taxes. We and, all, every single person on the planet tries to avoid taxes. Let's be real. <laughs> I'll tell you, like, I, I mean, I work my salary in the military is strictly from taxes. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what the thing that the government does is they will give tax incentives in areas that will help build this country. Yes, There's, they do. There are those tax breaks. And I would say, I would argue it's your patriotic duty to find those investments because those are what they've found to truly build our country and help our country continue to be the world power that it is. So in, invest where they tell you to. I mean, they will give you one, they'll give you a tax advantage. And two, it's going to help the country out. That's the reason why there's that tax break in that area. Starting with owning a primary home as a tax deduction, the interest is a tax deduction up to a loan amount of $750,000. So there's a reason that that is there and it is to incentivize people to have ownership in something. And that's capitalism 101. Okay. And we lose that a little bit this day and age because there's so much around cost of living, things being so expensive, but there are still those incentives out there. So even if your mortgage payment is slightly higher on the back end, you may be saving some money on the taxes. And that's where, again, strategy comes into play, but you don't know what you don't know. People may not realize that, hey, I, I might have a mortgage payment that's $300 higher than my rent, but there's a, a tax write-off that goes along with that that actually reduces your overall tax burden and keeps more money in your pocket. So it probably offsets or gets very close to offsetting. And that I love that you say, go find those things. It's your patriotic duty to go find those things. That's what's going to continue to build us. I completely agree. And it's not going to be handouts. That's not what tax incentives are. Tax incentives are you improve something and we're going to give you a reduction on your taxes for spending the money to improve something. Solar panels are another great example. There's a ton of tax incentives in different states for solar panels. Um, I don't know all the details on them, but I do know that that's a huge thing right now. 
electric vehicles. There was a huge discount on your taxes if you bought an electric vehicle between certain dates. So there's incentives out there and they're always being pushed. It's whether or not people see them, recognize them, and then it makes sense for their financial picture, really, at the end of the day. And and build out your financial team. It's one of those things where I've found the most success, whether in the military or in the league, if find the best of the best of what they do, build a team. You don't have to do it all on your own. And at the same time, like finding that network of people that can help you achieve the most is vital. Yeah. And I I was one of those guys that just struggle. I mean, I'm big time. I'm a money personality is a saver. I'm always looking for those deals and those aspects, but trying to figure out the difference between what true value is Mm. and what will gain you the money. Cause I mean, you, you spend the money on a good CPA or someone who can truly understand the tax code and understand how that correlates to your current portfolio. They can make you more money than you would have rather than an actual paycheck you're giving them to find those deals. Yep. Truly worth their weight in gold if you find the right team. Good financial advisor, good attorney, good CPA, good bookkeeper if you own a business because a good bookkeeper is going to work with your CPA. People don't realize it's not always one of the same people. Um, and then having someone in your corner to bounce ideas off of that's smarter than you. I love being the dumbest person in the room. It's my favorite thing. I will sit back and I will just listen and I will learn. And when I started entering NFL facilities, that's exactly what I had to do. Cause I was so out of my element. I'm like, I, I don't know how things work here. I had to learn. Right. And so I just sat back and learned and realized kind of where I can plug and play. And the same thing goes with your finances. What are you good at? What do you know? What do you not know? And who do you need in your corner to plug and play? And I think that's the best advice, financial advice you can give someone is build a strong financial team. Cause at the end of the day, they're going to be what makes you money and keeps your money in your pocket, not just builds wealth, but allows you to keep it. And that's hugely, hugely important. And so Ben, thank you for joining me. Cause we got like the whole military perspective, the community give back perspective, NFL, of course, right. You know, love you Niners, but that's not the big, big piece today. Um, Austin might kick me for that. Okay. <laughs> um, Austin Moss, shout out director of player engagement in San Fran, but yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to have you back as you guys build out your new company and start making those huge moves and community impacts so that we can talk more about it. So thank you for joining me. Awesome. Thanks for having me.